0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Matt. We're keeping the beat for you once a week. Uh, this episode is sponsored by you, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we started our Patreon page, and so that is what keeps this podcast going. So if you really like the show and you want to support us, the link will be in the description of this. So patreon.com, that's where we're supporting ourselves. We're intentionally keeping this, this podcast ad-free to be able to make the experience streamlined for you guys to make it easier for you to actually learn what we're talking about without the without the distractions and interruptions that advertisements bring so again if you really like it that's where you want to look us up in order to help support the show so mm-hmm. anyways back to today's schedule content <laughs> so we're finishing our series on music theory and we're almost done with it so this week we are going to kind of we're going to talk about how to a a good way to notate it that's getting really popular that allows you to think on the fly. Well, that forces you to think on the fly and allows you to do things like change keys quickly and everything. Mm -hmm. It's called the Nashville number system. So I'll admit, when I first heard about the Nashville number system, I thought it was fake. I was like, that can't be real. Because (laughs) I, I don't know why. I just thought that it couldn't be a real thing. You know, You you hear stuff like that, like the Nashville triplet, where it's like kind of a triplet over two beats, but not really because it's easier to count the Nashville triplet. I thought it was like that sort of thing, you know, just kind of faked, just so that somebody could call something something instead of what it really was. But it's actually a real system, and I think it's actually really helpful. Very, very much so. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing like jazz, the Nashville number system really isn't for you because it gets too complicated too quickly because jazz, you have a lot of key changes and that sort of thing. And so it it takes a lot to keep up with it all. But the Nashville system is really good for pop music that doesn't have a lot of changes or doesn't have a lot of key changes, I should say, Mm -hmm. Uh, or worship music or that sort of thing where you are, might be performing with a different singer or you're in a studio session where it could be a different person that showing up to what you're expecting. You learn it in one key. It turns out you got to play it in a different one. It really helps do all that stuff on the fly without having to, without having to reprint your music or say, okay, so I'm looking at an A right now and it needs to be four half steps higher. So that means I'm going to be in the key of what would that be? C sharp or C, you know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It just makes it a lot quicker. You just say, "Okay, what key am I in?" Okay, cool. We are ready to go.
1: So we'll give you the overview for that today. Yeah, I think it uh, it streamlines things a little bit so that keys don't matter as much for you anymore. I use it with my students uh, who, at least the guitar students, just because it it bypasses the part of the pro- the process for them learning the notes and how they work and the accidentals and all of that mm-hmm. so that they can start to play uh, songs and sight read a little bit and play some chords and things like that before they really get in the rest of the theory. So they kind of cheat their way into being able to play these nice melodies. And <clears throat> I think that that gets... Kids hooked on playing their instrument because they start to play things that sound good. Mm-hmm. and um, they might not really understand the whole nature of what they're playing. but when you have a kid that went from just kind of playing de and it sounds more like they're trying to talk in Morse code with their guitar to playing <laughs> a jazz standard with pretty much no issue, then I think that they seem to become more excited about it and more willing to actually learn how to read the notes and to know what they are and know what to do with them and figure out the nature of music because now they've proven to themselves that, oh, I can make good music on my instrument. So using it in that kind of a way, it can really help to ease things down and simplify it so that things are easily translatable to your instrument.
0: Yeah, and I think it's good to start out young too. Like like you're saying that, you help all your students with it. Not only does it give them that confidence to be able to play, but also gets them started off on the right foot because music really, key signatures shouldn't really matter that much. Not
1: really. They're
0: important. Yeah, like when you're playing in the key, like if you're in D-flat, like you need to play in D-flat. That's important to be able to do that at that moment. But whether you're playing in D-flat or in G, it should make a difference. Right. You should be able to handle it the same way. And that's where stuff like Nashville Numbers comes in for teaching your students. Uh, I don't think you should rely on Nashville Numbers for everything. But I do think it's a really good skill to have like I still believe that standard notation should be a should be something that students should learn there's reasons called the learning. standard <laughs> exactly right instead of just learning Nashville numbers and tab you still standard notation still is very
1: important don't even bother with tab
0: <laughs> yeah the the problem with tab so i'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with that so what tab is is if you're if you're not a guitar player you probably wouldn't know or a bass player so tab is basically what they do is they draw a picture of they draw like six lines or four lines, depending on if it's bass or guitar. And then instead of writing the note out, they write what fret it is. So if it's an open string, they write zero. If it's the first fret, they're at one. If it's the twelfth fret, they're at 12. And they write that on the string that it is. The problem with tab is it doesn't show rhythm very well. They kind of try to show rhythm, and I appreciate what they've been doing. Like I've seen people write four dashes per beat if the smallest note they're going to play is a sixteenth note. And so I can appreciate that, but it still doesn't, it's hard to read and it's super slow and it confines you to one fingering for something. Now, sometimes that fingering is the absolute best one, but not always. Sometimes there are better ways to play it.
1: Yeah. Very rarely do those classic rock riffs that you look up when you first get an electric guitar. Usually they are so wrong and the worst way to play it it gives you terrible tone and it's literally just some kid like you that played it by ear and figured that must be the way to play it Mm -hmm. and the answer is no not really i mean sometimes people will look at the videos of someone playing uh their thing and that does help because that will give you where in the neck they're playing it and that that probably gives you the answer but there are nuances to it that uh tab just doesn't show that if you, um, even if you couple it with the actual sheet music with normal standard notation, it's still, it's a pain in the butt. It really is. I've seen charts that have the normal sheet music right over the tabs Mm -hmm. and it's a mess. The song is several pages long. It's pretty much unreadable. You can't follow it very easily. So it's just best that as early as possible, you get away from tabs, maybe just return to them occasionally. If you just don't feel like trying to learn something by ear right. and some classic rock thing, then just use it to get an idea of the notes and go from there and then put or it to in get a you spot started. that it works. Yeah. Yeah. Just a I little think
0: tab works well doorway thing. to get, Yeah, exactly. To get you started on a song that you don't know and then to figure it out for yourself later. Um, But hey, that's besides the point, right? (laughs) So the Nashville number system, uh, I guess we should probably tell you actually what that is instead of just beating around the bush. So it's basically just a way of notation. So we're talking about standard notation and tab. Nashville number system is a way to notate the harmony, but it doesn't give you your melody. It doesn't give you rhythms. Well, it kind of gives you rhythms depending on how it's notated. Uh, True. And it doesn't give you like key phrases or anything like that it doesn't tell you like if there's a specific fill they want you to play it doesn't tell you any of that but it gives you the roadmap and it gives you the basic harmony structure of the entire song and you can fit a whole song even a 10 minute song you can fit it within like half a page if you write it right because it's a a very quick shorthand I've actually used it on gigs before when I couldn't remember a song I've written it on a piece of paper for that song I couldn't remember and set that paper on the floor near me Mm-hmm. That way, I'd, I still don't have my sheet music, but I've got I've got that specific song that I don't know. <laughs> it's super useful, and it's written without a key, which, how do you do that? Well, we will tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. but remember, we were talking about the do- dominant, subdominant, tonic, all that stuff when we were uh, talking about the last episode. Well, it's very, very similar to that. So I remember Matt. We kept saying like the one chord or the five chord or whatever. So basically, obviously, you know this. That's basically us talking in national numbers. Yep, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's based off your um, your scale degree. That's the word I was looking for. I couldn't remember that word. I was thinking chord <laughs> tones, but I knew that wasn't it.
1: It's because so I your just scale said degree. scale tones.
0: <laughs> yeah, scale tones. Whatever. Yeah. So you've got seven scale degrees in a scale. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And you basically are saying, you know, you're going to write 1, 4, 5, 1. And so if you're in the key of C, that'd be C, F, G, C. But let's say you need to play an A now. So now instead of playing C, F, G, C, you're still playing 1, 4, 5, 1. That's what's written on your paper. But all you have to do is change in your mind what key you're playing in. And so now instead of in C, if you're thinking about it in A, now you have A, D, E, A. Mm. Really straightforward, really
1: simple. Uh, but you won't even have to think about that because now you can just think one four five one. 4, 5, 1. And uh, on a piano, that's a little trickier because you'll have to really have down what is a a major triad and a minor triad blah 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 blah. so it's a little trickier on that but on our instruments guitar and bass that's just moving where you are especially if you're like me where you play most things with bar chords then i'm playing the exact same thing thinking in the exact same key but just using one four five one so i've just moved the key that i'm playing in that's it
0: right and like you're saying, it's really, I think that this is mostly designed for guitarists and bass players because it's yeah, super sure. simple on our instrument. Like bass players, you can play any scale with the same exact pattern, same exact fingering, just changing what note you're starting on. Same thing on guitar. So bass players, if you're playing your root notes, which most of the time you are in pop music, you literally just move your hand to the new key and just play the exact same thing. You don't really have to think about it. Now, if you want to have like a groove to it and have some cool stuff like spit notes and whatever, you have to think about it then. But if you're able to play that sort of thing, you probably aren't really going to have to think about it because you have the ability to do that. Uh, Matt, you're going to get upset with me for this one here. Uh. But it's also really popular when people play with capos.
1: (laughs) True. Yeah. That's the other way instead of bar chords to do it.
0: Yeah, it's so capos I mean if you asked uh if you asked Matt or if you asked uh Mr. Spencer, they're like You'd the cheaters way out. Shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> they are like the cheater's way out for a guitar player. But they're meant they to be a tool in the
1: woodworking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you need to like change your action or something like that to hold it Some in place dude at a
1: campfire stuck it on there and started playing and realized a grand revelation and someone should have pushed him in the fire so no one would ever know about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So <laughs> capos basically just clip the strings and change where your open strings are to a different note and lets you change keys without really changing keys. It's right. You know. I honestly think capos are more confusing than they're worth.
1: They can be a pain in the butt. They yeah, because really I've
0: seen guitarists argue for several minutes over where they're supposed to keep capo for
1: a song, which is one of the funniest things to watch.
0: Yeah, like if they would, if they would just like Playing play the key. chords in the key, <laughs> they'd be fine. But instead, they want to play it. They still want to play it in the key of C, so they need to figure out where they're going to put their capo to be able to do that. Their pointer fingers
1: aren't strong enough to make bar chords, so.
0: Yeah, or just they're late. Never mind, not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We have one
1: listener crying in the corner right now (laughs) (laughs) Mommy, they won't stop. (laughs) My shark capo, I love it so much. He goes numb, no well, on my streams.
0: <laughs> I will admit that they do have their use. I mean, they can be helpful, but they just, you know, they like you see a lot of professional players use capos. That is true. You do see it. Yeah. But a lot of times they're doing it on purpose because of the sound that they're going for. They want to use a certain voicing because they like the way that voicing sounds. So in order to do that, they have to capo up.
1: Yeah, I think it's useful for classical players that, uh, like you said, they need a different voicing and a different key. So they literally need an extra limb to be barring the strings at a different point. So some guys, they might start in open position and then capo part of the way through the song. And Mm -hmm. that's totally fine. That's using a tool in a creative way. Right. Uh, that's that's totally different because the alternative would be to ask your buddy to come and bar at that spot for you or to grow an extra hand and that's gross. So yeah. <laughs> I think the other reason that people use it, which I totally understand, is if you are a uh, lead singer with an acoustic guitar right. and you just do you can't rely on your mind to be able to keep track of playing bar chords and uh, rhythms properly even though you might have a band along with you. So if if you're singing and you're trying to lead the situation especially in a in a church context where you're leading worship, I understand using a capo. I even did that before years and years ago and I was like, "Okay, I get it when the worship leader uses a capo because there's a lot of other things that you have to focus on and guitar is the least among them."
0: Right. I understand that. The other genre where I think it's really useful is in folk music. Believe it or not, because True. like bluegrass, folk music, that sort of thing, it's um you know they uh they they rely on that open sound, that twangy sound of the open strings.
1: And yes. if for some reason
0: you need to change the key, you know you kind of can't do that unless it's you a good have way of
1: uh, doing that. I mean especially if you don't have a mandolin, then you might want your, a capo halfway up your guitar neck to give your guitar a much higher sound to fill out the fact that your band doesn't have a mandolin. Um, because that is a much more important instrument in that style than some people think. And you probably do have another guitar player. So mm-hmm. you might want to fake a mandolin using a capo while someone else is playing an open and things like that. There are ways to use it creatively, but to bring it all back around, the reason that you can use that and make sense of it is by using natural numbers. Otherwise, it is going to be one confusing heck of a time for you.
0: That is very, very true. So like we were saying, I've, I've seen so many guitar players argue over which fret they're supposed to capo at and they can't figure it out because they're trying to think, okay, we're playing this in E, so I've got the open string, but we really need to play in D. So now what do I do? Because you're going down a step and they just can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it gets super complicated, super confusing for people. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. If you think about, natural numbers Just is really just a way to simplify everything. Yes, And it, so it makes it a lot easier because like, you know, if you're, Think If you're in the key of E, let's say and you need to now play in the key of B-flat. And you can't figure out where you're supposed to capo it because you're thinking, well, E to B-flat, you know, what do I do that? Well, if you're thinking, you know, instead of playing it, you got got your same stuff you're going on. It's a lot easier to figure out where you're supposed to capo it because you can just count the half steps in the middle and move it up and then play your same chord shape. So if you are using a capo, that's another reason why you want to learn the Nashville numbers. So the way you actually write the national numbers is pretty pretty straightforward like we were saying you use the scale degrees so 1 4 5 1 1 6 4 5 1 but mm-hmm. then you have to notate whether it's major or minor. So that's really simple Whether you're just talking about your basic triads if it's a minor chord you just write a dash next to it. So a like a minus sign. A minus sign, yeah. So 1 6 minor 4 5 1 would be 1 then 6 minus and then 4 five one Mm -hmm. really easy Uh, i don't really think you know that that part is probably the simplest part about the national numbers is notating major or minor yeah uh you know obviously you have your chords that are typically major or minor so like your two chord is normally minor your six chord is normally minor uh but it's not always so when you're notating stuff you got to make sure you remember to put those on there Otherwise, you're gonna have somebody like me be a smart aleck and be like, "Hey, um, did you do this the right way? Is this really a two major chord?" I'm gonna double. I'm gonna call you out in front of everybody. But right. really, it's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. I just want to make sure I'm playing the right thing because what you notated is not necessarily what you mean. If you're, you know, so you just got to be careful of that. Make sure you don't forget. Yeah. Uh, obviously, sometimes you are going to purposely want a two major. So in that case, you just write two. And that makes it really easy, too, because then you don't have the, the musicians that are playing don't have to question whether or not this is actually what it is. Like they don't mm-hmm. see D major and wonder, is that really D major or is that supposed to be D minor? As long as you wrote it right everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then your accidentals make way more sense. You don't have to worry about, oh, wait, there's an extra note here that wasn't there before. Why is there a sharp in this measure? But there wasn't in the last one. Because you're not really thinking about that. You're just knowing, okay, this is the chord I'm supposed to play, and these are the notes associated with this chord. Right. Yeah, it's not hard. The, um, the next thing would be notating your extensions. So the extensions aren't very difficult. Uh, you, no. I'll start out with the sevens. So you have your major seven and your dominant seven, or your minor seven or minor major 7. So, mm-hmm. like we were saying before, obviously, we've talked about the difference between the dominant versus the major. So, the way you notate it is just the same way that you notate it when you're writing the note names out. So, if you want to write G7, and you want a dominant chord, so you have G, B, D, F, instead of F sharp, you literally just write the number 7 in the corner above the G, or above the 5. So, you'd write five 7 Really easy. If you want a major 7... I've seen it written two ways, uh, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I've seen people write five and then MAJ seven, or I've seen people shorthand it and just write a triangle.
1: I think the triangle is technically Nashville.
0: I believe I that think. you're right on that. And it's, I don't it's actually remember I because I've just it.
1: seen it said, it can be done in all these ways. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's the thing I about think Nashville.
0: The the thing, though. I, that's the more common thing. I, In my opinion, that's what I've seen more because it's I mean, it makes to more write. sense.
1: It gets rid yeah, of the letters.
0: Exactly. It actually makes the shorthand be actual shorthand. If you're writing out MAJ7, you might as well just write the whole name of the court out. Uh, but the thing is about Nashville numbers too, and this is what sucks about it and makes it hard to teach, is that so many people do different different nuances and different variations in the way that they write it that you really sure. have to pay attention. Make sure you ask the right questions. If there's something you don't know, Make sure you ask before they hit record and don't waste everybody's time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, real straightforward. But again, for the most part, what we're giving you is going to give you that basis that pretty much everybody's going to build it off of. So you got your dominant seven and your major seven. So if you're doing a minor seven, you write your minus sign and then seven. Real easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, Matt, the one that was kind of confusing is minor, major seven. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would write minus and then a triangle,
1: yeah, I think that that were it's I don't know if I've ever even seen that notated in Nashville numbers. I
0: don't think I have either, but it's such a cool chord
1: yeah i I think the minus major or uh the minus triangle then, is probably what you'd see uh you might see literally the the minus and then mage m a j but right. In any case, it's going to yeah. be pretty doggone clear, and um, I don't think we really talked about that when we talked about triads and extensions and stuff, so basically all that is, is a minor triad with a major 7 on top, so that's right. your leading tone. So instead exactly. of a flat 7, it's just a 7.
0: Right, so instead of C, E flat, G, B flat, if it was a C minor 7, you have C, E flat, G, B, B natural. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it Very adds cool some sound. more crunch to it. It's, it's cool it's it's different you know but it's uh because it kind of it has an augmented sound between the minor third and the major seven. there's an augmented mm-hmm. fifth right there so you get that kind of crunch of the augmented uh yeah so I guess that brings us to augmented chords we could write the, talk about those next that's literally a plus sign so if you see one plus it's a one augmented
1: that'd be kind of weird out. to
0: have a one augmented but <laughs> this, yeah that's true it'd be interesting one augmented to a tritone sub <laughs> there you go <laughs> to a 5 chord <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah so augmented chords obviously you don't really see them that often but good to know it's just a plus sign Uh, the rest of your extensions like if you get into a 9 or 11 13s whatever they're written just like you'd expect you'd see a 9 or you'd see 11 or you'd see 13 your suspended chords are just like normal, they write sus, S-U-S. Uh, they might write sus4 if it's a 4-3 suspension. They might write sus6 uh, if it's a 6-5 suspension. So something to keep your eyes out for. But typically if it's just sus, it's a 4-3 suspension. Hmm. Let's see. So you've got, we talked about your major minor differences. We talked about your extensions. Um if you have an altered extension like a flat nine, they're literally going to write one flat nine. Yep. You know, it's just like you'd expect to see it under normal notation as far as your extensions. That's exactly how it's going to look on Nashville's, unless you have somebody that writes a little
1: strange. Yeah. Whatever it says, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> That's what it is.
0: And if you don't know, if you're questioning it, ask the person who handed you the chart. Or if you're the one making the chart, then just whatever you say goes.
1: <laughs> you'll look a lot dumber if you don't ask and try to guess and make a mistake than if you just ask, uh, what'd you mean right there? And they say, oh, that's a minor and you're like, it is? Oh,
0: alright <laughs> Yeah, he's like, really? Your your minus signs look a lot like plus signs
1: <laughs> uh, It looks like a candy cane to me but <laughs> I guess it's a Christmas song now
0: I guess so Chestnuts roasting on an open fire
1: Knackin' <laughs> <laughs> cult
0: Oh man, that's too funny Uh so then your inverted chords, those are pretty common in Nashville numbers, I feel like. Those are really simple. So you know how we talked about like C or C over E. So you'd write one or one slash three. And so you write the slash like a backslash, not an underscore with the not like, not like a fraction where you have the one on top of the three, but you have a slash like halfway. Uh I'm trying to figure out how to describe that. Because if you type a one and then a straight line under the one and then a three at the bottom, that's a completely different chord than one slash three. It's like the little slash mark on your keyboard. That's the type of slash you want to use, that little forward slash.
1: Oh, I understand what you're saying. I was thinking of a different way. I I thought that you were saying the way that uh, some people will notate in versions where it will literally be, uh, say, a C over E would be a C and then a line under the C, and then an E under that, and it looks so ugly.
0: Well, that's <laughs> actually a completely it. different chord, though. When people notate it that way, they're wrong. Because that's actually yeah. a polychord.
1: Right. That, so it's a completely stacked. different thing, and then they try to say it's like that, and I'm like, well, it looks ugly anyway, so don't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if it's a, like a forward slash, then it's an inverted chord. So 1 slash 3 would be 1 over 3, or 5 mm-hmm. slash 7 would be 5 over 7, a G over... Uh, i don't a g over a b so mm-hmm. and when so that's where it gets kind of confusing so 5 over 7 does not mean g over f sharp you're not or g over f because you're not talking about the 7 in that key you're talk, in the key of the the chord that you're playing you're talking about the overall key right so it can be kind of confusing but it's you know the re- the great thing about Nashville is you're thinking about it all in relation to your home base yeah. So 5 over 7, if you're in the key of C, would be G over B because the 7th note in key of C is B. So it makes it really nice. So like, let's say you have an E flat chord in there, and it's like, well, where did E flat come from? I've never seen that in this key before. Well, literally, you just write flat 3 because it's all in relation to the key of C. Yep. makes it really simple to notate.
1: You just four.
0: say what it is. Exactly. So like if you're going from C to F and you want to throw a tritone sub in there, you write so one flat five four. You know, it's it's really cool, it's really simple. Um the the thing we were talking about, the the polychords, that's kind of confusing. We didn't we haven't really talked about polychords before, so I'll just kind of give you a brief explanation. If okay. you see a one and then a horizontal line directly underneath of it, and then five directly underneath of the one, that is not saying one over five, like a slash would be. That's saying you play your one chord in your right hand and your five chord in the left hand. So the way your notes would stack, you'd have G, B, D, C, E, G. It's kind of like writing extensions, except you're writing two chord names out
1: it's a very confusing way of doing things. <laughs> um yeah,
0: in a way, if you're working with piano players it's easier. I guess so. Uh cuz they, you know, it makes it simpler to throw that in there, especially if you want it voiced a specific way. Because when That's you write an extension, true. they're going to voice it based off of what they think feels best in the in the grand scheme of things. But if you want it voiced out G B D C E G you know, with a tonic on the top and on the bottom, then writing the one over five, one directly over five polychord makes more sense. But you're not going to see that very often. Those are like some complex ideas that most people aren't going to do. And I, mean, I if guess they, the
1: alternative there would be to call it a G4-6, so yeah. <laughs> they're not going to know what that means.
0: Yeah, exactly. So writing it like that makes kind of makes more sense, but... Like I said, it's not something you're really going to see all that often. It's kind of, it, it's, it's like an extra step to get to something. Basically, when you're writing in Nashville numbers, you're saying, I trust my musicians that are playing for me to play what is musically best to fit the song. Sure. You're giving them the freedom to select in their voicings, of selecting where they want to play it in the the range of their instruments, where on the fingerboard they're going to hit it. And allowing them to make those musical decisions so that you end up with a creative piece that you wouldn't have come up with if you would have just put everything down. Because then you have each individual's opinions and their musicality in it instead of just what you thought in your
1: head. Right. It gives you a guideline that basically takes out all of the info except for the direction that the harmony goes. So you might talk about, we're going to do this as a reggae thing or a funk whatever. And then you just go right into it. Well, you don't have the, uh, the rhythm section rhythms of where the hits are and such. You don't have what the melody looks like. You don't Mm -hmm. have the lyrics or any of that. All you have right in front of you is the chords. Now I do think like, uh, it's worth mentioning that the Nashville numbers, they do work for the melody as well. that's part of what my students learn is Mm -hmm. to read the, uh, the scale degrees as numbers as well. Um, And the reason that I let them do that, even though it kind of simplifies things and then we get more into them actually reading the notes is because it's training their ear and um, they might be like, Oh, I just have to remember my finger numbers at first, but secretly they don't know that I'm cheating them into learning because now they <laughs> they play a Tricked one <laughs> and they hear a one. If they play a six, they know they have to reach their pinky out to hit an A if they're in C position. And then they hear a six if they need a seven. Boop. Now they're hearing a one, two, a seven if they need a three. they are They're basically getting ear trained without even realizing it, which is... In my opinion, probably the best way to be ear-trained is Mm -hmm. that it kind of becomes instinctual when you're young. So later on, it's so much easier for you if you try to do it intentionally. Because that's one of the things that I wish that I'd had when I was young, because my ear is dumb as dirt. And there's nothing Mm -hmm. I can really do about it except just give it time. Just let it learn. Keep on thinking in numbers. Keep on... Coming to myself and, uh, processing it and just let my ear learn over time because it's an idiot right now. And eventually it'll learn when I'm old and gray and it'll finally (laughs) be able to hear the difference between, uh, a three minor flat nine and a 13 chord and such like that. But, uh, anyway, the point is, is that you won't, get handed a chart that is literally numbers for a melody I would be really confused <laughs> if someone did that that's kind yeah. of what in a way that's almost what a tab is but not really um it really isn't at all but it's like an equivalent to that because it doesn't mm-hmm. give you enough information and it's just like well what on earth do I do with that that doesn't make any sense but you will get a chart handed to you that's just numbers that is the harmony so mm-hmm. say uh you have a lead player that's playing "Have You Met Miss Jones?" and no one else knows what the the chords are, so they hand out nothing but the Nashville numbers for it. Well, uh, that automatically will be a little tricky because the B section modulates, so it it might be notated that they put like a, uh, a B flat right before the two five one. That's a B flat, and then into G flat, and things like that. They might notate it that way. They might go the real roundabout way, which is to write what it actually is in related the, to uh, F, right? Which that that that's fine too. Um, they might do what yeah. we had to do in theory courses, where you wrote what it is in relation to F, and then above it wrote it in relation to the key that it's going to. It changes so quickly that that would just look like a someone yeah pooped on your paper, but
0: that's why you don't it, see it in jazz that often.
1: yeah, because things cause change they, a little bit too much. You need to know to be able to communicate that because it's much faster to say uh, the B sections so, going you know, a two five one b flat two five one g flat that that's much faster than saying okay, it's a C minor to an f7 to a B flat major seven that takes so much more time. Right. Where and if you just hear two, five, one, boom, there you go.
0: Exactly. It establishes relationships very easy. So yeah. you just know what to do. It's not it just requires less thinking. I mean, if you know what a two five one is, then it doesn't matter what key it's in, you can play it. Yeah. Unless it you will literally tell don't you know three the chords
1: with one little phrase. Exactly. A two five one G flat, I know exactly what that is and what to play in mm-hmm. several different kinds of voicings. Exactly. And I'm not thinking of what the chord names are. Right. It's just those three chords coupled together into each other. And I don't have to think about it because there's no reason to. I'm saving my mind, time, and space to be thinking about other things.
0: Right. And obviously, it does take time. I mean, there are things that you have to know. Like you have to know your scales. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. If you don't know your scales and your key signatures, you're not going to know Nashville numbers. It's not going to make sense to you. But, you know, I feel like learning them together will help you learn them faster. If you, you know, if you think of everything in relationships like that, it makes it, I feel like it solidifies things in my mind when I think about them in relationships to each other. And that's what's so great about Nashville numbers, is because you're relating everything back to your home base. And so it makes it a lot easier to remember it all. And especially like, let's say you're in a, like, if, let's say you're in a church situation where you're, you're playing like a five song set and they want you to memorize it. Well, it's a lot easier to remember. Okay. I need to go one, six, four, five, one, six, five, four, one. Then, okay. I need to go one F, a minor, G, you know, whatever, C, a minor, G, F. It's a lot easier to just remember the numbers. Then if someone gets sick Sunday morning and you have a new singer, hey, now you're not up the creek without a paddle.
1: <laughs> yeah, now now it's easy. I mean, I think I mentioned on the show before that the thing that impresses my worship team the most when I play is the days that we change the key last minute and I don't need them to go print me new music. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I have summoned a demon or something. And I'm <laughs> ca- casting a... An evil spell or something because they don't get how I can be, I, I can have a piece that's in C in front of me. Well, I say piece, but I have a song that's right, right. in C in front of me and uh, then we're going to F and I just say, well, mm-hmm. it's three different chords and I'm thinking in numbers, so it doesn't really make a difference to me. It's fine. Right. I'm good. And then they're just like, wait, what? How? I'm like, what's three numbers? I try yeah. and I do try to say like it really isn't that hard. I'm not I'm not bending and breaking anything over here. It's it's as easy as just speaking that language and it doesn't take much to learn. So if you think, Oh, I don't really need this, well, it can help you a lot in ways that you might not realize because right. the Nashville numbers, even in a simple song with a repetitive progression, well what if the progression changes? Mm-hmm. If you know Nashville numbers, you can literally see what they wrote and why they might have wrote it. What it what it is in relation to the things around it. If um, you understand that a dominant chord from a different key, because uh, that might be a secondary dom- a secondary dominant chord and blah blah blah, blah 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 all that stuff that that you can talk theory wise. But if you just say this is a dominant key and it's a five for this key, that's a much faster route to kind of go and to moving forward and you can see what what is it borrowing from what is the mm-hmm. idea here and nashville numbers will quickly be able to tell you whereas uh, we've talked about roman numeral progression or roman numeral transcription writing uh notation what, what Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the Roman numeral notation is, even though it's a, uh, a classical analysis standard sort of a thing, it is also one of the most confusing and convoluted things in music. That It's like they're going out of their way to try to make it look like rocket science. When you can take that exact same thing, write it in Nashville, and it makes some of the more complex pieces of history look like cake. Um, mm-hmm. Not not playable like Cake, but you can see The inner workings of everything Much simpler than Writing in code So uh, You might be playing I'm trying to think of something that has something A little bit more than a stupid progression But nothing really comes off the top of my mind Because I'm terrible at doing such a thing um, <laughs> But uh, Does Amazing Grace have anything interesting? <laughs> um, <laughs> there I don't know, but a bunch of hymns will out of nowhere have a chord that is not from your key. It's not just a one, four, six, five kind of a thing. Right. But if you Nashville numbers it, you'll be able to see what it is. Mm-hmm. And that tells you not only how to play it properly and to approach it properly, but it can teach you how to write for yourself more than just a three chord song.
0: Yeah. And I think it also helps you see that things aren't as different as you thought they were. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking at a one to a three, I feel like when you think about it in Nashville numbers, it makes you realize a one and a three chord really are not that different. Like a three chord is basically a one major seven without the one. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. And so I I just think it it makes everything make more sense. It's just simple. And that's the whole point of it. it. I It connects mean,
1: things a little better than thinking exactly, in letters. Yeah.
0: That's true. And that's the whole point of it. I mean, they made it as a shorthand to speed things up, to make it faster, to learn new music, and to get things done in a studio position, studio session. But it helps everywhere in music. I mean, basically anything you want to do, it helps you speed the process up and figure it out faster.
1: Yeah. Um, It'll tell you if yeah. you, if, like we said with Tabs, going back and learning some classic rock riffs or mm-hmm. a uh, a classic bass line. Um, if you know Nashville and understand your key and what you're playing, then you're going to be able to see w- what the riff is. You won't just memorize, uh, like pour some sugar on me. If you're playing that, you'll instantly see, oh, I'm just playing over a C sharp minor. That's the mm-hmm. riff. That is exactly yeah. what it is and um, there's nothing more to it. There's nothing more special. It's a fun riff. It sounds really cool. Well, now you know how to write a cool riff in something. It's simple. It's not this weird pattern thing of where the notes are. It's you'll just see, oh, there it is. That's what it is. Now I know.
0: (laughs) The one last thing that I think that Nashville Numbers is a great, uh, well, okay, it doesn't do a great job of, but it does a much better job of is showing you rhythm. It's not perfect when it comes to rhythm. You will still see standard notation rhythmic ideas written in over top of them if it's something strange in there. But you do draw a line in between every measure that you have on there so you know okay this lasts for if you're in the, if you're in 4/4 four, four, you know this chord lasts for 4 beats. This chord lasts for 4. If you see one and four written in the same, between the same measure lines, then you know you have one for two beats and four for two beats, unless there's something weird written in above it. It does a lot better job of writing rhythm out than like your lyric charts that people give out a lot. Right, You know, the ones that have the words on it and the chords written above the words. Those are really hard to count rhythms on because Mm -hmm. it's written over a word, not... You know, well, what if the word starts on the end of one instead of on one? Do you play on one or the end of one? You gotta, you know, it's it just makes it, it simplifies that, it makes it easier to figure. Now it's not perfect. There are uh, its downfalls with rhythm. It's not it's not going to get real complex rhythms in there, but pretty much anything that you need to notate on there, you can figure out. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think that pretty much covers Nashville numbers we knew it was going to be a little bit shorter of an episode because it's pretty straightforward nothing yeah. too complicated but if you do have questions feel free to reach out to us we really like helping people with these sorts of things you know it's really it's a lot of fun for us i get a lot of enjoyment out of going to reddit and the music theory things and like answering people's questions that's super mm. satisfying to me <laughs> and uh so if you have questions reach out to us either we have a red a subreddit for Just the Basics that we're doing a post for every episode. If you have questions about that episode, you can post it on there. Um, it's just the subreddit is called Just the Basics. Or you can email us or send us a message on Twitter or Instagram. Um, I'm at t Music on both. Uh, but let's move on to our listening recommendations for the week. So what do you got for us this week, Matt?
1: This week, I would like to mention that. The band Lettuce, yes, just like the vegetable, it's spelled exactly the same. Um, I didn't discover them until, well, I think after I graduated from from Liberty. You know, you knew about them. I yeah. didn't. I had no idea. They just uh, appeared in my Spotify at some point. Yeah, and I remember you I telling like, me about what them. What did I? <laughs> yeah, I I thought I'd discovered something really cool and new and interesting. And you were like, "Yeah, they're great." I'm like, "Don't it." <laughs> Every time, can't find anyone new because no one ever plays jazz. Um, so, Lettuce just released a <laughs> single of the uh, Tears for Fear song "Everybody Wants to Rule the World," and, um, so it's a cover, but the way that they do it is. Uh, very interesting. They do a lot with it and it's worth checking out. I I enjoy listening to covers of popular songs or maybe not so popular or whatever, just because it's interesting to see what people will do and then uh, judging them if they didn't change it enough and they just tried to re-record a song or if they went too far with it. I think it's an interesting thing. It's kind of like my own little version of being Simon Cowell and judging all the American Idol people. (laughs) But, uh, what lettuce does with this, it's transformative enough to be truly original and entertaining and a different experience than the original song, while also keeping very faithful and genuine to the original song and keeping to the same, um, tonal soul that, the original has so mm-hmm. definitely check that out there's tons of different uh, covers that you can look at look out for for so many different people I, I encourage that especially for people that want to get into arranging is to just start listening to covers and be very very critical of everything like the uh, for example like Weezer's recent cover of Africa I hate it
0: <laughs> Um,
1: all <laughs> I they did have heard it it's not worth it. Um, it's literally taking Africa and pretty much just making it their own thing. Weezer's a one trick pony anyway. I've never liked them, but, uh, so sorry listener, if that offends you, but I've never liked them ever. Uh, they're after my time, I guess (laughs) if it came after 2000, there's a chance I don't like it, but, um, That and all kinds of other covers, it's very helpful for arrangers and composers to listen to, to see what kinds of things people do to change popular songs. And Mm -hmm. I think it even helps if you're like me, that really the way that I quote unquote cover things is by taking jazz standards and doing it in my own way. Um, Right. Because that's that's like the heart and soul of jazz. It's not doing it exactly as Miles did, did it or Charlie Parker or something. It's making something new into your own rendition of a standard. And by listening to the covers that we have today, you can see the kind of approach and find that perfect harmony between original yet respectful. So right. there you go.
0: <laughs> All right. That's a pretty good one. I like Lettuce. I've been I've listened to them for a while. They're they fantastic. Yeah, they're like high-powered, like high high-fly-in, really fun stuff. Um, so, it's funny, my recommendation is actually new music as well. This is a new album released in 2019 by Corey Weeds. It's called Live at Frankie's Jazz Club. I have not listened to the whole thing yet, but everything I've listened to has been really great. Uh, I especially like the song Formidable. It's really cool. So he's a saxophone player, really awesome stuff. It's sounds great. Um, I actually heard this on the radio, believe it or not, which you know you don't really hear much on the radio anymore. As far as new music, so I was shocked. Normally you hear just the same, you know, same top ten songs played over and over again, but this was really cool. I like I liked it so much that I sat there in my car after I got home and sat there was just waiting for it to finish before I went inside. <laughs> And then there was another one that I listened to right before I got home. That uh, it's a familiar song. It's called "Road Song," but this one was recorded by Graham uh, Dechter or Dechter. Sorry, Graham. I know I botched your name. So if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it yeah, it's really cool. It, it was uh, I really liked it. I haven't heard a version that I've liked that much of that song in a long time. So. It, both of those songs are really cool. Uh, Road song that version was released in 2012, so both pretty recent stuff. So I'd check them both out if I were you. I'll put them in the um, I'll put all these things in the our, in our Spotify playlist again. So I've been putting that in the link of all of our shows. So if you want to uh, follow it and get all the new music, you can go ahead and click on click follow on that, and you'll get links to or you'll be able to see all the new stuff we post. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening with us every week and uh, learning with us as we kind of go through our journey of learning new music theory. Because honestly, you know, as obviously we know a lot about this stuff, but teaching it to people makes us learn it better. And so I've had to do more research for this than I ever thought that I was going to have to. So it's been a fun journey. And so thank you guys for tuning in with us every week. Remember, like we said, we are sponsored by you guys, our listeners. So if you want to support us go to the patreon page uh, the link will be in the description of the episode here so all right well thank you for listening we will see you guys next week
1: so long